have officially finished the book of John, and we're moving on to the first epistle of John, which is known as 1 John. If you have your Bibles, it's all the way in the back, right before uh, the very end there with Revelation. But 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John is where we're going to be for the next couple of weeks. And uh, it's very clear, if you read just, just a little bit of 1st John, that the theme all throughout his writing is love. He wants uh, the people that are uh, following Jesus to love one another. He wants the people that are following love to love God, or following Jesus to love God. He actually claims God is love, right? So following love, following God. He wants it to be clear that this isn't just about following the rules, about getting in line, but it has always been about relationship. And of all people, um, the, the one to write about love and write about a relationship with Jesus is the one who kind of self-proclaimed himself as the one whom Jesus loved in the book of John, right? So if anyone knows that following Jesus is about relationship, it's the one whom Jesus loved. And uh, here in, in 1 John, he actually doesn't call himself John. He's introduced as the elder. And so this is way later in John's life, and, and some um, speculate kind of which John it was, but way later in John's life, he uh, is writing from a perspective of, I want to pass this on to the next generation. I want to pass on not just the principles, not just, hey, let's follow this, don't give in to idolatry and things like that, but I want to pass on the core message of love. And as the elder, as the elder statesman of the group, I want to pass that on to the rest of the people. And so he writes this letter all about love. For us, as we go through this series about the summer of love, my hope and prayer is that for us in this room, that we can grow in our love for God and our love for people. And this comes from Matthew 22. You don't need to turn there because I just told you to go to 1 John. But in Matthew 22, Jesus replied to the question of what is the greatest command like this. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. That's pretty profound words of Jesus, something we're familiar with. But the greatest command of all the commands is love the Lord your God with everything you've got. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor. Love other people as you love yourself. And it's very clear, by the way, if you've been a Christian just for five minutes, that you can't do part two without part one. Right? To truly love our neighbor as ourselves, we need that, that, that divine love of God to help fuel us, that we, as we know ourselves and know our needs better and know that, man, I need God, it helps us to better love one another. So as we go through this series, in every sermon, at least that I preach, some other people will be preaching, but every sermon that I preach, I want to point out two things and, and call you as a church to two things, to pick one way that you can work on loving God this week. And I bet you can guess the second one. Pick one way that you can work on loving yourself. No, people this week. <laughs> Right, one way that you can work on loving God this week and one way that you can work on loving people. And I know every time I give a challenge as a preacher, I know you guys write it down and you're like, I'm gonna do this this week and everyone does it. But just in case, maybe that's not the case, what I want us to do as well is when we get together next week, we'll take about five minutes to share with our neighbor, hey, this is what I tried to do to grow in my love for God this week. This is what I tried to do and growing in my love of people. And we'll just have a time of, of open fellowship to talk about that and even to say, hey, I wanted to, but this is what got in my way. And uh, it might be a stranger you're talking to or a roommate or a friend or a spouse, but it's an opportunity for us to say, hey, we don't want, just want to say this on Sunday morning, 
but we want to live it, and we know we need help to execute that. So the thing is, I'm not going to tell you the one thing that you need to do this week to grow in your love for God, and I'm not going to tell you the one thing that you need to do this week to grow in your love for people. I'm just going to preach the, the text here, and I want you to kind of think through as you go through, okay, what's the one thing that I'm feeling convicted by by the Holy Spirit as I read these words? Sound good? Everyone in? Speak now. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Talk to me afterwards if, if you need to. But uh, I think this will help us because the solution, John saw it, and we need it. The solution is love. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I promise we're getting to 1 John, and I know I quoted two other books, but in 1 Corinthians, in 12 verse 8, it says, love never fails. And in this passage in the beginning, it says, you can, you can be the perfect preacher, you can drive out demons, you can go and give all that you have to the poor, you can... You can do all this crazy stuff, but if you don't have love, it means nothing. It, it doesn't matter. And then he ends it by saying, but the solution, the call, what we need is love. And this isn't just kind of a nice thing. Okay, well, love will just make me feel better. But it means in every circumstance, when we feel stuck, when we feel like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to get it back. I don't know how to fix this thing or that thing. If we choose love, if we choose love, not the feeling, but the decision to love, the decision to sacrifice as Jesus did, to love like God loves us, then we can see growth and we can see victory. So we will see growth and victory. We will see relationships restored, marriages strengthened. We'll see one another commitments and our love for the lost all blossom as we commit to growing our love of God and our love for people. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, let's go over to 1 John chapter 2. That's because we did 1 John chapter 1 last week. So you can go and catch that online. But uh, Sean did a great job just introducing the idea that love is light and walking in the light and, and that we're called to fellowship together in the light. And he did a great job painting this picture of what it means to, to fellowship with one another. Um, but we're going to pick up here in 1 John chapter 2. Before we read, though, have you ever felt like you were in the dark about something? You ever felt like, Man, other people must know this, but I'm, I'm missing something here. I feel like I'm in the dark. Or maybe you found out later, man, I was in the dark. I had no idea. Um, I, uh, my birthday is April Fool's Day, April 1st, which seems appropriate. But I pride myself in I've, I don't get pranked on April Fool's Day. My parents tried to throw me a surprise birthday party. I hacked my dad's emails and found out it was happening and pretended to be surprised, but they didn't get me. You know, and there's the, I, I try to just pride myself, and you can't pull one on, on me. I'm the April Fool's baby. You know, you can't do that. But <laughs> there was one time that uh, my roommate in college, he tricked me. He got me good. Uh, he, uh, this was in our campus ministry days. We were, uh, I didn't go to UVA, but we were at UVA for a devotional, and he was doing the lesson. He said, James, I really need your help. I really want this lesson to, to, to resonate, to hit home about being fools for Christ. And uh, I know you have a Buddy the Elf costume, which at the time, and still now, I do have a Buddy the Elf costume. That's a whole nother story, right? But I'm a big fan of Elf. You can talk to me also after that. But I had this costume. He goes, so what I want you to do, you know in the, in the movie Elf, when Elf sees Santa, he goes, Santa, I know him. I want you to do that, but burst into the room as soon as I say Jesus and say, Jesus, I know him, all decked out in your elf costume. And I was like, I do not want to do that. <laughs> There's nothing about that that I want to do. He's like, please, it will really help this spiritual point get through. I really want to help encourage people to just be fools for Christ. I was like, I don't want to do that. I finally agreed. I was like, fine, I'll do that. 
and I, I, I leave the lesson early. I'm at the door, and he says, we just got to be fools for Christ. And I burst in, or fools for Jesus. I burst in and say, in my elf costume, Jesus, I know him. And everyone just stares at me. No laughter. They all look annoyed. What are you doing? You attention hog. Why are you doing this? And my roommate says, please just sit down. <laughs> and I was like, oh, they got me. Basically, my roommate told everyone, don't react. Don't, don't give them any satisfaction. Just make it totally lame. And I sat there through the rest of the lesson in my elf costume like, oh, they pulled one over on me. I was in the dark. I didn't know what was going on. And that's a light example, but sometimes being in the dark is, can feel not just like, oh, a surprise or a prank, but it can feel heavy on our hearts. And the whole point of what we're going to read today is that God and John through the Holy Spirit, what he's writing here, they don't want us to be in the dark when it comes to knowing God. Yeah. We don't want to be caught unawares. We don't want, we're not meant to be pranked. We're meant, we have everything we need for life and godliness, everything we need to truly know Jesus. Let's not be Let's not stay in the dark, but we have everything we need to move into the light. With that, let's go ahead and start reading. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My dear children, I write this so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. And we'll stop there. There's a few times that uh, John says, I'm writing this because, and you're kind of, which one is it, John? But he starts out with this, I'm writing this because you're not supposed to sin. I think we're aware of that as Christians in the room, that, that that's the goal. But he says it really strongly, you're, I'm writing this so that you know you are not to sin. And if it just stops there, that can be pretty overwhelming. Because I don't know about you, but I have sinned before. I have probably sinned this morning. I, I, I got short with somebody or was a little bit uh, exacerbated in the morning and, and, and frustrated or whatever. So we sin. So it's great to read this. Say, okay, you're writing this so that we don't sin. But we do sin. And that's why we have the next verse, right? Um, but if anyone does sin, or even the same verse, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. So he's writing us to call us to righteousness, but to also say, but when you fail, Keep going because I've given you what you need. I, I, you have an advocate to help you in Christ Jesus. He's the atoning sacrifice. And this is powerful too, as we'll talk about later, for not only our sins, but also the sins of the whole world, which helps us when we need to forgive others to remember, okay, wait, Jesus has atoned for their sin too, right? And not just in this room, but, but out in the world around us. Um, but it's, it's really clear, and this is a hard part of Christianity, I believe, is that we have this goal that can feel impossible. And so we need grace. But the temptation is we get so discouraged from aiming for this goal and not hitting it that we, we change the goal, right? Okay, we, we move the target in. Well, maybe it's not so important that I'm, I'm really that righteous or that I really have integrity in this area and that area. And what we want to do is we want to make the, the standard a little bit lower so we can feel a little bit better about ourselves. But that's a trap because we're, our, our value shouldn't be come from how well we're doing, but how loved we are, which is why we have this advocate that comes in. And so for us as Christians, what we need to evaluate is a few things as we'll read about, but it's not our perfection, but what's our trajectory? What am I aiming for? What, what is in the, not the rear view mirror, but the windshield? What is it, what's in the GPS destination? What am I aiming towards? And am I settling for what it is that I'm aiming for? 
have I said, you know what, this stuff really isn't important. I know God says it's important, but I'm tired of missing it, so let me just lower the standard. And very clearly, right off the bat, John, again through the Holy Spirit, is saying, don't lower the standard, because you have an advocate along the way. You have somebody that's with you on this journey. Let's read a little bit more. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. We know that we've come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know that we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. What's fascinating about these four verses is that they're all kind of saying the same thing. And they're all saying kind of this first line, we know that we know him if we keep his commands. And the last line, if we claim to live in him or to know him, we have to keep his commands. And basically it's the same thing over and over that if you're going to claim to know Jesus, claim to love Jesus, claim to be in a relationship with Jesus, claim to be a Christian, your life and what you do must also reflect that. We've never heard that before. Practice what you preach, right? No, of course, that, that, that's the Christian message, but that's being driven home four different times, said four different ways. If you claim to be a Christian and your life doesn't reflect that, it says you're a liar and the truth isn't in you. And he also claims if you really want to be in him, make sure you're walking as he walked and striving to do that. Now, without verse 2, this would be overwhelming once again. Because verse 2 says, hey, when you do sin, or if you do sin, you have an advocate. Because, again, we, we were just reminded that we're not going to be perfect. But, again, that doesn't change the standard to say, no, if you're going to claim to be with Christ, continue to walk in him and strive to live like him. And, again, it's all about our attitude and our posture. Are we striving? Do we have the right goal? Are we aiming for the right trajectory rather than uh, choosing to, to lower that standard? You know, God makes it clear in this passage that an indicator of a relationship with him is how we live. And I think there's two ways we can read this passage, or these, these four verses. One of the ways is to see it as a warning. And I definitely think that's how it's written. And I can't, I can't address this passage without talking about the warning that's here. That we as Christians, and this was written to kind of challenge the false teachers in the early church that were going around spreading different things. And Jesus said even before that, you can tell a false teacher because their life is going to reflect that something's off. And so there is this warning to the false teachers and to the early church that says, make sure you're not in the category of people that are talking the talk, but they're not walking the walk. That are claiming to know Jesus, but they aren't actually doing something. Aren't actually following him. Aren't actually trying to know him and to get to know him and to grow says, make sure you're not in that category. And that applies to us today. And it's easy if you're in this room, okay, but I go to church, I do this stuff. But take a quick second to do a heart check. Do I need to hear this warning this morning? Am I talking the talk? Do I claim to know Christ, claim to love Jesus? But Jesus says in his, uh, in his words, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Not about perfection, but am I aiming, am I striving to follow Jesus' commands? Or have I let myself off the hook over the years? Allow that warning to permeate your heart through the Holy Spirit. But it's not just a warning. I think we can also read this as direction. I think this is really cool. Uh, reading a commentary about 1 John on this passage, uh, a writer wrote that um, this isn't necessarily a condition 
or just a condition, but it's also a characteristic. And what that means is the more we know God, the more our life is going to look like God. So it's a warning. If you claim to know God, make sure you're doing it. But the flip side is those that really know God, their life is going to reflect that, that it's a characteristic of knowing God. And what's cool about this is if you feel stuck, if you feel like, man, I can't really fix this or fix that, the answer sometimes isn't just to white knuckle it and get through a particular situation, but it's to reorient and to know God better because your life will then follow suit. Does that make sense? So it's not just a warning, but it's a little bit of direction as well. When you feel stuck, if you want to look more like Christ, the answer is found in knowing Christ a little bit more. And again, what's cool about the whole book of 1 John is John is writing from firsthand experience, but he's writing to people that didn't actually interact with Jesus in the flesh. And so it's kind of like John writing to us and saying, hey, I knew him. I walked with him. We ate together, but you can know him too. And that's what you need if you want to live this life. And so maybe, just a little hint, if you're thinking, how can I, what can I work on in loving God this week? Maybe it's, what do I want to know better about God? Something that helps me when I'm stuck in, in a particular, maybe I'm lacking discipline, is if I study out God's, um, God's self-control and I see his characteristics of discipline. Or if I'm struggling with compassion, how do I see God's strength of compassion? The more I see that in God, the more I know that, I'm going to want to follow suit and imitate that in my life as well. So maybe there's an area where you're like, I want to grow in this. The thing to work on this week might be like, I want to admire God's blank, God's, um, God's love, God's compassion, God's grace, God's fearlessness, God's boldness, whatever it might be, right, to, to imitate and to know God a little bit better. Let's continue reading 1 John chapter 2, verse 7. It says, Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard, yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. And you might be reading this and saying, is it an old command or a new command? I'm a little, which one is it? Let's read a little bit more, verse nine. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. That's why I opened with the idea of, of being stuck in the darkness or being in the dark about something. <coughs> Excuse me. The point he's making here. Is, is very similar to what he said before. If you claim to love God, yet you can't get along and you can't love your brothers and sisters in the church, and, and later he'll add that to the rest of the world. If you can't do that, then, then something is missing. Something is wrong, and your love for God ain't as strong as you thought it was. And I see this all the time today. Me and God are good. It's me and so-and-so that have issues. And I'm like, if you and so-and-so got unresolved issues, you and God ain't good. That's just what it boils down to, right? It's, we, think, we, we think only horizontally that God only operates that way. And again, in our Amer I've said this before, but we have this idea of our personal relationship with God, which it, which it is important to walk with God, to know him. But that phrase is nowhere in the Bible, personal relationship with God. It is so community-based. And when we're off with one another, it is going to affect our relationship with God. 
And the answer is, is always humility, is always pursuing love, always pursuing greater compassion towards one another. And to also watch out for hate, which we'll talk about here in a second. So what he's, what he's saying in the beginning is, a new command I have, but it's really not that new because you've heard it. But it was new when Jesus said it, but I'm just reiterating. It's both old and new. And it's just love one another. And even that command is a little bit new every time we hear it and a little bit old every time we hear it, right? Oh, I know I need to do that, but also, whew, I know. Oh, yeah, I need to love one another. I need to really work at this. So it is new and it's old at the same time. It's kind of like certain fashion trends that uh, we thought were going away, like jean jackets, but then they kind of came back. Or I've, I've heard the mullet is coming back. I'm not really sure. And some of you are like, was the mullet ever in to begin with? I don't know. But, but fashion trends kind of rotate around, and it's kind of the same with loving God. Okay, this was an old command and then a new command, and we just need this continual reminder, love one another. Uh, when we talked about earlier walking like Jesus, here John is narrowing it to say if you're going to walk like Jesus, a key characteristic of that is to love other people, to love one another. You know, this is, uh, this is a struggle for me that I've, I've learned recently because I'm a very friendly person. And being friendly and being a loving person are not the same thing. Being nice and being loving are not the same thing. Getting people to like you and being loving are not the same thing. What I've learned recently is in an effort to get people to like me, I can be manipulative. I can try to control what other people see or perceive of me so that they'll, they'll like me more. And I actually try to control the emotions of other people so that I can have an easier time getting along with everybody. And this affects me as a leader, as a minister. It affects me in my marriage. It affects so many areas. But it's easy to read this and be like, oh, hate my brother or sister. No way. I don't hate. I'm James. I'm April Fool's. You know, it's all good. But, but I've been convicted looking at this and, and trying to say, okay, hate might not mean what I think it means here. Because I think we're, no, one, no one is like, I mean, there might be a few people like, I really struggle with hating this person or that person. But it, it often doesn't characterize our fellowship or our interactions. But I think hate, as we read later when Jesus says, if you don't hate mother, brother, sister, father, even your own life, you can't be my disciple. Hate there is similar to here and it's not just a disdain, but it's a, a lack of giving, a lack of generosity, a lack of grace, a lack of compassion, a lack of love exhibited to other people. And that can be as blatant as hatred and disregard, but it can be as subtle as uh, manipulativeness or uh, criticalness or um, withholding your heart or unforgiveness. These things can creep in there. And we would never say, I hate this person or that, but our love kind of shows, uh, it tells a different story. Um, I wrote this down. I, I thought it was interesting. A lack of love is like an eclipse. It blocks out the sun, the son of God, and leaves us in darkness. When, when we choose to, to pull back our hearts and pull back love, it says that that gets in the way of our relationship with God. And it's like this eclipse that blocks out the sun and we remain in darkness until we deal with ourself and deal with our heart. Think about it for yourself. Is there an area, is there a person where you feel like, man, I've pulled back. I've pulled back my love. I, I don't think it's something, by the way, that somebody wakes up one day and says, I'm going to stop loving the church and my brothers and sisters. I'm going to stop loving these people in my life. There's a, a powerful listen at your own risk song called Slow Fade by the Casting Crowns. 
And it talks about how relationally, it doesn't, we don't, we don't crumble overnight, but it's small, little, slow fades that can pull us away. And it's talking about marriage, but I think it applies to any kind of relationship. That if we're not careful, those little things just pull us away from people. And we can be in the same room, we can be around people, but realize we don't have much love left to give. I want to read the, uh, share the chorus of that song. It says, it's a slow fade when you give yourself away. It's a slow fade when black and white have turned to gray. And thoughts invade, choices made, a price will be paid. When you give yourself away, people never crumble in a day. It happens when we, when we let judgmentalness and unforgiveness creep into so many of our relationships. It begins when we withdraw our love. You know, as Christians, love is supposed to be the distinct aspect of our, of our faith, right? Jesus says, you will, everyone will know, the world will know that you're Christians by how you love one another. And so when, when we're lacking in love, it affects our, our ministering to the rest of the world. And we've got to work on loving one another. How many of you were moved when you first came out to church or were studying the Bible or interacting with other Christians? You're like, wow, there, there's, there's a powerful aroma of love in this room. Right When you started hanging out or you had these discipling relationships, right? And someone's speaking truth to you and it's painful. And you're like, I don't like that. I wish you said it a different way or that, but I need that. Amen. And you felt the love maybe a little bit later <laughs> in that conversation. But you, you experienced that love and said, there's something distinct here. Church, I want us to think for a second. Forget about church culture and all the stuff, but think about your own life. Am I loving the way that Christ has called me to love others? Am I loving in this way that, that if I'm doing it, that there's a distinctness in the community, and if we're all doing it, there's a distinctness in, in our community towards the world around us? Are we loving the way that Jesus has called us to love? When we know God, our love for one another has got to show that, not just in word, but in deed. I think this passage can be a, a, a healthy wake-up call. To, okay, what does it look like to love? And by the way, I think the biggest sacrifice to growing in love is it takes investment. Any meaningful relationship, it doesn't happen, but it takes investment. And, and to be honest, for most of us, it's about investing our time. And, and time is such a precious commodity. How many feel like you have lots of free time? Put your hands down because you're going to build resentment towards it. You know, it's going to cause struggles, right? No one feels like, man, I have this plethora of free time. Time is such a valuable resource. And uh, on, on both sides of it, when somebody is, is offering their time to you, see it that way. And vice versa, be willing to say, okay, if we're going to grow in love for one another, it takes investing time. You know, in a marriage, it's let's take the time to, to talk. I want to listen and not look at my watch, right? Um, when it comes to just relationships in the church, I'm going to take the time to have you over. And by the way, sometimes that means spending half the day cleaning the house, right? And, and getting some food ready and having you come over and, and not watching the show I was gonna watch tonight and let's talk and, okay, when do I end it? How do I, you know, time to get going, you know, whatever it is, right? But it's time. But God is so pleased by that because time, how we spend our time is an act of love. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, right? It's talking about money, but I think it clearly applies to time. They say time is money. A lot of us want a lot of money, so we'll have free time in retirement at some point, right? And so our, our most valuable resource, I don't think is money, but I do think is time and how we give our time to one another is how we love one another. So maybe if you're keeping track of how you want to grow in love, it's, 
hey, I want to give time to somebody this week, a phone call, a, a conversation, a, an attention, whatever it might be. Let's read the last little bit here of, uh, of John chapter 2. We're, we're going to stop here at verse uh, 14, but let's pick up in verse 12, chapter 2, verse 12. I'm writing to you, dear, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I'm writing to you, dear children, because you know the Father. Uh, I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Some of you are probably, why is this in here? (laughs) And who is he writing to, and why are you really writing? Because he gives a couple reasons here. And uh, there's a lot of different speculation on what's being written here. When he's writing to fathers, uh, there's this aspect of, of the, the fathers and mothers of the church, the, the elders, the people that have been around a long time. He's like, I want to remind you that you've known this from the beginning, that you've had access to this. And he's writing to dear children or, or young men and young women, young people in general. He's saying, I want to remind you that you are in Christ, that you have been forgiven that this stuff in your life that you want to bring with you, you can actually set it down. You've been let go. You've been forgiven. And actually, you have the victory already. You've overcome the evil one. Anyone familiar with the concept of affirmations? You know, saying maybe, what is it, an old SNL skit? You know, you're beautiful. Is it, I can't remember. And doggone it, people like you. That's the one from an old, old SNL clip, right? But sometimes affirmations can sound like, okay, what does that really mean? But here, this is kind of a biblical truth affirmation. He's saying, okay, I'm challenging you. Don't be in the darkness. Don't miss out on this. Don't don't this, 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 and that. But I also want to remind you, you've been forgiven. That isn't you. You're not in darkness. You're, You're not in the dark on this area. You know what it is to love. You have what you need. You've been forgiven. You have an advocate. It's reiteration of what he says in verse two. Saying you you have it. You've known him who is from the beginning. You've overcome the evil one. You are strong. And doggone it, people like you. <laughs> he's not saying that part, but he's saying you, there's some, something there. And there's this aspect of, think about Satan's, um, I, I can't remember, maybe I was talking to Mario about this, maybe somebody else, but uh, Satan's native tongue is to accuse us and to lie. Those two are bad combinations, right? False accusations all day long. And how often do we tell those things to ourselves? You're no good. You're this, you're this, that. You can never overcome this. This will never change. That will never happen. And these lies about our life and these false accusations about who we are flood in. And it's passages like this that pull our head out of the sand and say, no, no, stop listening to that stuff. You know the Father. You're not in the darkness. You actually know him. You've overcome the evil one. In Christ, there is victory. This is a powerful aspect of affirmation. They did a, uh, a plant study a few years ago. Maybe you guys have heard of this. I think Ikea actually did it through a research study, maybe with uh, Korea. I can't remember quite where it was. But they did this uh, experiment, and they had two plants in the same room. And maybe you've heard this before. They bullied one plant. The kids would come in and say mean things to the plant. Don't, sorry, Miss Karen. I, I know you can never think of a mean thing to say to a plant. But they said mean things to a plant. And then the other one, they complimented the plant. And they did this for a period of time, and this was the result. I wouldn't be showing you this if it was, you know, if if it wasn't a a good example. But the one on the, on your guys' is, what is it? Left. Left. 
Well, the one that doesn't look so good is the one that was bullied, and the one that looks alive and well is the one that was fed compliments. And I know that sounds really weird, and you're like, do plants hear us? Oh no, what's happening? <laughs> it's a little bit scary, but uh, another experiment was, was done, and what they did actually was they played uh, a speech by Adolf Hitler to one set of plants, and a speech by Martin Luther King Jr. to another set of plants. And actually, the plants that were listening to a speech by Martin Luther King Jr. grew uh, about 10 to 15 centimeters taller and healthier than those that were listening to the speech of Adolf Hitler. And again, you're like, what is, <laughs> it's just kind of scary when you think about plants. Uh, but NASA and the Smithsonian, thank you, stepped in there a little bit. And what they discovered was it was actually the vibrations. So the vibrations of speech when you're angry and bullying had a negative effect on the plants, and, and Adolf Hitler would have those kind of vibrations as well, but the kind of hope that's in the timber of your voice and the compliments had this positive uh, effect on the plants. And it is fascinating, and I don't think it's that different than us as human beings, right? When we're in a position where we're only hearing and only believing and only listening to the negativity and the bullying, whether from other people or from ourselves, it's going to cause us to droop, cause us to cut ourselves off from healthy sources of of growth and, and resources to help us grow and change and, and blossom. But when we allow ourselves to listen, not to empty promises or nice things that we just say, hey, this or that in the mirror, but the truth of scripture about who you are, then we will blossom, we will grow. We won't be in the darkness, but we'll be in the light. And our love for one another will reflect that. So we need to share these truths with one another, but we also need to go to God's word to believe these truths. Truths like this, in Romans 8, nothing can separate you from the love of God. That is a true thing about you. Also in Romans 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? A true thing about you in Scripture. We already talked about this, but love never fails. A truth in Scripture that applies to your life. In Psalm 23, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me a truth about you in scripture. And I'll close with this one. It's my favorite verse, but it's in uh, Colossians chapter one, verse 13. It says, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the, into the light, the kingdom of light with the son, Jesus, whom he loves. That's who we have in Christ. We're in the light. We're not in the darkness. Church, let us be individuals who pursue love. This week, I'm excited to hear what we do to grow in our love for God and grow in our love for people. Amen? Let's go ahead and stand up, and we're going to sing What a Fellowship.